may notice my lovely t-shirt, my little uh, Mandalorian graphic here. So we're going to talk about Disney Plus. And there's some new uh, reports out about the Disney Plus subscriber estimate counts. And I like the intro to this article. Disney Plus said, this is the way back when it launched in November. And boy, have viewers followed. According to a new report, Disney Plus has pulled in over 41 million subscribers since they launched. This was like October 11th or 12th or something. So in three months, basically. Over 40 million subscribers. It's seven bucks a month, uh, but that's free. So, you know, they did the tie up with Verizon. If you have uh, like a primo Verizon plan, you can get it for free for the first year. So they're not necessarily trying to monetize all of these users, but obviously Disney's strategy is to create really strong branded uh, premium content. And I would say that seems like it's working pretty well. Um, I have the t-shirt to prove it. And now then this article says it is that Disney is spending $24 billion to ramp up programming. The one caveat with this, I would just say is I'm not sure over what period of time that $24 billion, I would guess that's not in one year. I think that's probably over like two years, but even if it's $12 billion in one year, that's roughly about what Netflix is doing each year. I don't know if they've been able to double literally somewhat overnight, um, the amount of spending that Netflix is spending each year. And they have much fewer shows, right, than Netflix does. So uh, $24 billion in one year, that seems like a little bit, like a little high to me. So this article says $10 billion for Netflix. That's wrong. I think Netflix is actually around 12 It actually might be a touch higher uh, spending each year. $8.6 billion for Amazon Prime, a billion for Apple. Um, NBC's Peacock just announced also they're spending, and it looks like they're spending $2 billion over the next two years, so a billion dollars a year. So Disney and Netflix are right at the top in terms of spending. Then it's Amazon Prime. Uh, and then you have basically Apple and NBC in the same boat. We don't really know where Time Warner and HBO Max is at. I would imagine they're definitely going to be higher than a billion dollars a year. They just forked over forked over five hundred million dollars. Now that's not per year. Five hundred million dollars in a multi-year deal for South Park and some other shows as well. They did other deals. So AT and T's got a lot of money. Uh, Time Warner is a hundred billion dollar acquisition in and of itself. So um, those are the two big players coming out this spring: is Peacock, NBC's initiative, and HBO Max, which is AT and T's. Uh, initiative. So one takeaway from this is it's a great time to be a content creator. If you can create premium mid to long form content, this is a really good time to be in that business because <laughs> these guys are going hog wild in terms of creating content. Now, Disney's going to release earnings first week of Feb. So in about two weeks ish, Netflix is releasing earnings uh, next week or the week after. Um, Right at the end of January. So it's coming up soon. And Netflix has some data out here as well. So this is from a couple days ago. You can see that Netflix's North American subscriber growth has plateaued. Um, even looks like it went down a little bit from one quarter to another. But it has not been able to break the 70 million uh, subscriber count 
in North America. So that's more than just the United States. Take into account the 41 million subscriber count number for Disney. Now, I don't know, we don't know where all those subscribers are. I don't think that, I would imagine that most of those subscribers are from the, from the U.S., possibly North America. I don't even think Disney Plus has really launched internationally. Maybe it has. Um, but let's just assume that Disney has at least 30 million subscribers in North America. They've basically gotten half the amount of subscribers that Netflix has in the U.S. North America market in three months. I mean, that to me is a very big win. Um, I don't think these numbers have been confirmed. So these, but these are estimates from these different data providers. Um, and so, if that's if that's roughly where these numbers are, I I think that I think Disney stock is going to do fantastically. All things remaining equal with the rest of their business, they obviously have a, a variety of businesses besides just what they're doing with Disney Plus. But from a Disney, if the other businesses can report strong results in a couple weeks, coupled with this pretty massive win, it would be at least half of Netflix. If if they have more than thirty five million subscribers, if that forty one, if you know at least thirty five of that's from North America, then that's actually more than half of Netflix's customer base. Disney Plus got in three months. That's phenomenal. Um, now, the rest of this article goes on to say that the rest of the growth that Netflix is trying to get, Netflix collectively says they have 158 million subscribers. This is the end of Q3 of 2019, end of September. And they want to add 100 million subscribers will come from places like India and Southeast Asia. And we've spoken about this many times in the show. The problem with that is that users in Asia and Southeast Asia, they don't pay as much money as U.S. North American customers do for media. And I would also lump Europe into that. Maybe not as much of a haircut as, say, India, Southeast Asia. Um, but certainly the U.S. market is, is paying the prettiest penny for media. So that's why I think, again, those Disney Plus numbers are so important to look at. And then you think about what can Disney Plus do as they expand also on a lower cost structure in the first place at seven bucks a month compared to Netflix, which I don't know, maybe it's around 12 bucks a month ish in the United States. Looks like they're roughly at 10 bucks a month in Southeast Asia, Netflix. But what this article is alluding to, we've, we've said this many times on the show, Netflix is going to have to lower those rates internationally if they hope to achieve those kinds that kind of growth and that's just my challenge that's just my challenge with the netflix business and i think look it doesn't mean that netflix can't have a profitable business it doesn't mean that netflix can't have a successful business it just means that the multiples that netflix is commanding in the market are too high in my opinion and that as we see the competition this is this is we've only had two competitors uh, Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus. Now we're about to get another double whammy in the next few months. HBO Max, don't underestimate AT&T, and NBC. Who is NBC owned by? Comcast. I mean, these are these are heavyweight players coming in the into the industry. You can't underestimate them because there's no supply side network effect, which means any of these players that are massive con media conglomerates can come into the market 
get 10 plus million subscribers seemingly overnight just because I'm Comcast and I literally have all these cable subscribers. So Comcast Peacock's model is that if you have a Comcast cable TV subscription, you are going to get Peacock, I think for free. They're going to have ads in it. And then you can also get it if you don't have Comcast cable and I think you pay a fee or something like that. But these players are going to get scale. They literally have scale because they're massive conglomerates and they have the supply because there's no supply side network effects. So it's really just a matter of what rights do you have? How much money are you going to pay for premium shows? Look at HBO getting South Park. Great decision on HBO's part. Love South Park. Now you got a five-legged horse race with some of the biggest companies in the world. Disney, Apple. Oh, sorry. I forgot about Amazon. Six-legged. Disney, Apple, Amazon, um, uh, Peacock, HBO, and Netflix. And you know what? They could all have tens of millions of customers. But again, what kind of multiple are you going to put on that business? I'm, I, you, I, you're not putting the multiples that Netflix used to get when it was just Netflix. And they literally didn't have any competition. I mean, they had, I guess, like kind of Hulu competition and Amazon Prime competition. But Amazon Prime is more just a stickiness add-on to their existing subscription product. And then it helps Amazon justify the price increase that they put onto Amazon Prime. But again, you know, it's really now the race is on. I think the next, this 2020 year, you're going to start to see, I think you see Netflix's multiples come down. Maybe they hit the growth. Maybe they do these things. Maybe, you know, maybe the P&L hits what they expected to hit. But are they still going to get the same multiple from investors? I don't think so. I think that's where the the story of Netflix and 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 how much confidence you put in their long-term capability to have def- some kind of moat or really lack thereof, which is my point, the defensibility, um the margin compression which we've already spoken about. They're doing some wonky things with the balance sheet in terms of how they're registering this $12 billion a year, Um, not necessarily as like a hard expense, right? So they're kind of capitalizing it as an asset. I assume that gets then depreciated over a certain number of years. You're not seeing the full picture of, hey, what's this business like if I have to spend $12 billion a year on content as a a hard expense that hits the P&L? I can tell you that PL does not look pretty if, if if you're if you're attributing all these costs to to uh as an expense in the same year. So again, not so bullish long term on Netflix. Disney, great decision. And you know what? They can justify $24 billion because Disney is investing in brand, in creating these characters and these entities. And then guess what? They have they have like a physical plat- pseudo platform business, right? Because now I have characters. I can sell a bunch of Baby Yoda stuff. Hence my T-shirt. You know Disney's getting paid for this T-shirt. Um, I can now build theme parks around it. I can now, you know, uh, create all this derivative like, uh, you know, uh, uh, comics or other content around it and and shows and events and Broadway musicals and like all these other things. And if you remember, there's a crazy picture that Walt drew, I don't know, 50, 60 years ago, where it shows all the different entities and all these lines between all the different entities. That's what Disney's got. 
if I was Netflix, if I wasn't trying to create supply side network effects, that'd be my first thing. How do I create supply side network effects? But if I wasn't going to do that, how could I try and move more into some of these like analog um, complementary businesses, the brands I create um, like Stranger Things, you know, how could I start to monetize Stranger Things in other arenas? The interesting little anecdote I'll give about Disney Plus and how much emphasis they put on these premium brands. You may have noticed there's no official Baby Yoda toys for the holiday season. Why weren't there any official Baby Yoda toys? Because Disney was not going to go tell Mattel or Hasbro or any of the toy companies that they work with um, about Baby Yoda pre the launch of Disney Plus and Mandalorian. This was like first, second week of October. So by the time the show came out, that's literally when all the toy companies found out about Baby Yoda. And that means that they weren't able to turn around a toy fast enough for the holiday season, a Baby Yoda toy. I think Baby Yoda toys are just about to come out. And they couldn't, they, the lead time was, was too short. Um, so it just goes to show you the, how much emphasis Disney is putting on the premium brand entity and kind of trying to say Netflix is like a JV. They're a JV movie studio. We're the premium movie studio. We create the brands, we create the icons, then we monetize the hell out of these things through all of our other channels. And that's their business. And guess what? It's worked really well for them. Bob Iger is a beast. So again, maybe Netflix still hits all their earnings and their and their projections. I don't think the multiple sticks with them as we see 2020 unfold. Um, okay, so big tech is worth $5 trillion. Now, Alphabet has joined the trillion dollar club, the four comma club. It's pretty cool. Five, the five most valuable U.S. tech companies now account for over 17% of the S&P 500 in terms of value. We had predicted that, um, you know, platforms, platform, there's only about 21 platform companies in the S&P 500. And this was maybe four or five months ago on the show, we were highlighting that between 15 to 20% of all the earnings of the S&P 500 were derived from the earnings of these 21 platform companies, which also is pretty impactful. I think that you're just going to continue to see this trend. Uh, we've made some other predictions about just the continuing role and dominance of platform companies um, accounting for more and more of the value or earnings potential of just the S&P 500, of the stock market in general, of just industry in general. Um, and so my response to this article was that, you know, there really is no such thing as a technology industry anymore, right? The technology sector, it, it really shouldn't be regarded as a technology sector. Instead, what we need to be thinking about is that every major industry, if they don't have it already, they will over the next, say, 10 years, certainly 10 to 15 years at the maximum, will have at least one or two dominant technology-driven players in that industry. Uh, just like in the media industry, right? Netflix is a movie studio. We've talked about this before. They are basically a movie studio enabled by technology-driven distribution that's trying to command technology multiples. Like WeWork was trying to command technology platform multiples when they're really just a real estate company. 
I don't think the fall is as drastic for, for Netflix. But again, I think you start to see the multiples go closer down to movie theater not or, or movie studio as opposed to platform company. Platform company multiples um, and, and being a platform company in a respective industry. I mean, when you look at Alphabet and why and Google, why they've been able to join the four comma club, for example, you got at least $100 billion locked up in um, Waymo. Waymo has nothing to do with search. Waymo is a technology soon-to-be platform company in the automotive industry with this thing called Android Automotive. We've spoken about it many times. Android Automotive, by the way, is in GM, uh, in Volvo, in some Fiat Chrysler cars. Android Automotive will be able to monetize a trillion dollars worth of services pre-autonomy that are going through the car in the United States every year. That's, that's a hundred plus billion dollar company, just an automotive tech company in automotive. Okay. Um, YouTube in the media industry, at least a $200 billion company in the media industry, platform company. They're doing at least $20 billion in revenue, which means you're going to prescribe at least a 10 X revenue multiple to YouTube. Um, I think they're profitable, but Google doesn't break any of those numbers out. And so when you start to un- understand why, well, okay, yes, they own search, which was, which was and is a technology kind of business in and of itself, right? Like search and the internet, that's a new industry that was created by the internet. Okay, fine. Give them that. That you, you could say is a kind of a pure play tech part of their business. But just between those two business units, um, YouTube and Waymo, you got at least a third of the business is coming from the media industry and the automotive industry, traditional industries with dominant technology platform business models uh, in those spaces. So that's really the thing that I think we need to start thinking about is every industry is going to have at least one or two dominant platform companies. Maybe not everyone a platform, but I would say the large majority of industries will be able to have a dominant platform in their space. And every large industry will have at least one big tech company in it and you shouldn't just be thinking about these as like some big cohort of tech companies. But what are the big industries and who are the tech players in those industries that are bringing new tech-driven business models to those industries? That's the big opportunity over the next 10 to 20 years. Traditional industries and tech companies, how do they come together? So we, we spoke about this yesterday. Trump was railing on Tim Apple about... Uh, we're helping Apple all of the time on trade and so many other issues, and yet they refuse to unlock phones used by killers and drug dealers and other violent criminal elements. They will have to step up to the plate and help our great country now make America great again. Okay. Trump wants Apple to give uh, the courts, or no, namely, I think the FBI, access to the shooter in Florida to, to his iPhone. Uh, the FBI has sent an Apple request for the data on two locked and encrypted iPhones belonging to Mohammed Al-Shamrani, the gunman who killed three people at a naval base in Pensacola, Florida. Um, And Apple is saying it handed over all the data it possesses, including iCloud data, but it is impossible for it to bypass its own encryption and gain access to the devices. Now, the irony with all of, you know, all of the hoopla over privacy. We were talking about the head of the 
EU uh, regulator, Ms. Fessager, yesterday on the show and her lamenting about running into issues with you know, not being as successful as she would have liked with regulating big tech. And, you know, I think there's all this false uh, aggravation when it comes to big tech companies and privacy. I think it comes mostly from government and media and politicians and uh, consumers still keep using these big tech monopolies, hence Google joining the four, the four comma club. Tech monopolies provide great value net net to the end consumer. It's the producer that gets that gets taken advantage of when at huge scale. And producers need to be treated as customers too. Platforms have two customers, consumers and producers. Okay. Um, but now you say, okay, oh, privacy. Oh, Facebook, Google. Oh, you take advantage of consumers' privacy. So horrible. The biggest irony in this whole thing is you want to know who is the biggest perpetrator of people's privacy? It's governments, including certainly the Chinese government, the U.S. government. Every government is spying on its citizens and other people, not its citizens. And that is the biggest travesty when it comes to privacy. Me as a consumer, I can control. Do I use these tech companies? And they give me some control over my data, but at least I'm voluntarily using them. And I kind of know what they want out of it. You know, they want to sell me stuff or they, they want to sell me more stuff, ads or other things, right? At least you kind of know what their motive is. With government, uh, you don't really know what the motive is, right? It, and, and you don't have any visibility. You have absolutely zero transparency into what the government's doing with your data. They lock it up behind all of these um, different rules and confidentiality. Oh, it's national security. They literally have these dragnets that they've plugged into the telecom companies and they suck down literally everything that you do and just put it into a database just because they can and just because they might need to look at it someday. Um, you want to talk about privacy, uh, aggravation and violation? That's what we should be talking about. So the idea that Apple is not doing this and they're saying they can't do it, even if they could do it, I don't really care. They shouldn't do it. And I'm glad that they're not unlocking this. And here is the even bigger irony. <laughs> There's plenty of articles out here that show that the FBI can already access iPhones and they have tools <laughs> like this, I don't know, gray key third-party tool. Uh, this was from January 15th, two days ago. The FBI recently cracked the encryption of Apple's latest and greatest iPhone 11 Pro Max a report said Wednesday, prompting questions as to why the agency is demanding the company assist in accessing two older iPhone models as part of this, this shooter Pensacola case. That is exactly what, it, you know, that is the travesty here, right? Like, they can literally already get access to it. And now Trump is um, hammering Apple to give in and, like, give, make, just make it easier for the FBI to get access to this information. Absolutely not. If there's ever at least one thing that you could try and keep them from getting access to, you know, good. Okay. They can still get access to it. Just make it a little bit harder for them. And instead, no, we want to just give them just, you know, whatever access to whatever they want, no restrictions, no controls on it whatsoever, which is basically how everything else uh, is working. And the only, you know, thing that we have to go off of is that we're a few steps better than what's going on with China. 
in the sense that I don't get my social credit score dinged for what I do, and the government isn't actually actively um, regulating the content that I can post or that I can read, right? So they're not actively filtering the content. They're not penalizing me directly for my actions, but they certainly can use it against you if they have some case against you because they have the data. So we're, it's definitely better than what's going on in China. I don't want to make it seem like we're close. There is a pretty big difference here, but the point is um, none of this is okay. And we need to try and bring back some protections around privacy. And, you know, it's really just a false narrative that big tech is so bad and they're, oh, they're hurting our privacy. When when you compare that to what's going on with the governments, I mean, there's no comparison. Like, it's not even close. Uh, but no one wants to talk about that. Government doesn't want to talk. Regulators, congressmen don't want to talk about that um, because, uh, you know, they're all biased. So anyway, we also looked into how much Miss Vestager is making. And I was way off. Nick was actually right on. Miss Vestager makes like around $350,000. Uh, the head of the EU Commission, I guess three million. I was way, I was all amped up on the topic of regulation, how the EU is very bad at it, or they're the best of the worst. Um, but there's a lot of, you know, there's a double-edged sword to that, and I think they'd probably do more harm than good on that front, anyway. But, but anyway, she makes a few hundred thousand dollars. Next thing, she should be making more money. Um, I would disagree, but anyway, <laughs> that's the end of the show today. Have a good Friday. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week.